It's time for Dodger baseball. 3 2. Here it is! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. Welcome to Ducks on the Pond. Presented by Com Radio. Hosted by Logan Barandis with Gay Banjiri. Zach Lambert. And now the 1-1 pitch, here it is, and it's swung on, line to left, base hit, and the A's have won it! Cespedes scores from third, a line drive, base hit to left by Stephen Bolt, and the A's have even the series! And Ben Surface. So sit back, bang some trash cans, and enjoy. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Ducks on the Pond podcast. I'm your host, Logan Barandis, and joined, as always, by Gabe Angieri, Zach Lambert, and Ben Surface. So we've got another exciting week of MLB talk. Uh, not uh, not so much news around the MLB as there have been the past couple weeks, but we still got a lot to talk about here. And we're going to actually go into kind of our predictions for the season in terms of MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year. This episode, we're going to do the AL, and next episode, we're going to the National League side of things. So we're going to start out with the MVP conversation here. Mike Trout won it last year, although he didn't play the entire season. Now you got a bunch of new guys in the American League, guys like Anthony Rondon. They joined the fold. So who do you think is going to win the MVP? Zach, I'll start with you. So obviously the easy choice here is is Mike Trout, but... Um, I'm going to go off the grid a little bit and, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say Austin Meadows. Um, I think he's, he's, he's a sleeper, you know, last year he was an all-star for the first time. He hit 291 with 33 home runs, 89 RBIs. And I think that the Rays are going to have a nice season this year. Uh, I, I saw them probably taking the wild card. I don't know if they would have beat the Yankees out for the division, but I definitely saw them making the wild card again. And I see Austin Meadows taking another step forward. Um, and and if not winning the MVP, at least putting his name up there in the conversation. Uh, I think Meadows is a really good pick, but I went with the, the easy one. I went with Mike Trout. You know, I think he's the best player of our generation for sure. I think you'd have a few more MVPs if it wasn't for other Guys having spectacular seasons. He's finished second 
uh, multiple times. So I think, you know, it is the easy pick, but it's also the safe pick. So I got Mike Trout winning the 2020 MVP. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Ben. I have the easy choice with Mike Trout. But Zach, that's an interesting pick, Austin Meadows. That's a, he did have a really good year last year. That's a, you're going out more, more out on a limb there than me and Ben. But Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. If you really look at it, he could win MVP every year. It's like the LeBron James argument. LeBron probably should win MVP every year, but he doesn't. But yeah, Mike Trout, best player in baseball. Last year, he had 45 home runs in 134 games. So if you put that on a 162-game pace, that's over 50. Yeah, and if I was if I was a betting man, I would probably bet Mike Trout. But just because it's like a given that he's going to be up there in the conversation. And, and those Mike Trout, Miguel Cabrera... MVP races back back in the day. Those were so fun to watch. Those were oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I respect you actually going out on a limb and not just taking the easy choice like me and Ben. But the crazy Mike. thing about Trout is, though, I think he's still underrated because he plays in Anaheim. Like everyone can agree that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. But I think you know, from a fan standpoint, we're watching one of the greatest players of all time, certainly of our generation. You know, and I think because he's not on the huge stage, he's out in Anaheim. You know, people kind of take it for granted or don't really realize how good he is. I feel mm-hmm. like he's still getting better. He's just 27 years old, 27, 28 years old. He's still, like, kind of entering his prime years. And he's already, if he retired today, would be considered probably one of the greatest players of all time. Listen to this. He's, he's insane. He's not just an amazing hitter. He's an outstanding defender as well. So, yeah, I'm going with the easy choice, Mike Trout, MVP. Pete Rose hits by age 28. 1,327. Mike Trout hits by age 28. 1,324. Yeah. Ricky Henderson runs by age 28. 940. Mike Trout, 903. Barry Bonds home runs by age 28. 222. Mike Trout, 285. So he's like right up there, if not past the all-time statistical leaders in hits, runs and home runs at age 28 like he could go down as the all-time hit home run rbi run like leader in, in absolutely everything he's just it him he's special to watch and it's sad that anaheim is like wasting away his career but he we, we really he needs to be more appreciated yeah his career ops is a thousand for his career not just a single season for crazy, his career crazy. his ops is a thousand I don't, I don't know if people understand how ridiculous that really is. past three years, he's put up an OPS of almost 1,100. That's insane. He's the best player in the league, and it's not close. Yeah, I think with all that being said, my choice is also Mike Trout. But um, you take a look at everything you guys said. Obviously, Mike Trout, one of the best players in our generation. He is getting a, uh, he is getting some much needed help in that lineup with Anthony Rendon coming in, and if and if uh, Mike Trout hits behind Rendon, you're gonna see those RBI totals go up because Rendon really good at getting on base last year, had a great season, breakout season really, finished top three in the MVP voting. So that's gonna be a huge help for Mike Trout's numbers in that lineup. But if we're going off the uh, if we're going like off the like unexpected players uh, in in this uh, American League, kind of like what Zach did. A name that came up for me was Josh Donaldson for the Twins. Just because you're going to a team that already had a great offensive season, one of the best home run hitting teams we've seen in recent history with last year's Twins team, and now you're getting a Josh Donaldson who broke out last year back to his MVP form where he was in Toronto, 
when he won it. So you could see a return of that MVP form of Josh Donaldson that we've seen, uh, I think, five years ago was the last time he won it, which is crazy because it seems so recent. I'll give you a sleeper pick. I'll give you, as much as I hate to say, Glaber Torres with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. He's going to be 23 years old this year, and he hit 38 home runs next year. And everyone's going to be focused on, oh, Aaron Judge, Stanton, well, if they're both healthy, Gary Sanchez. But Glaber Torres might be the best all-around hitter in that lineup. So, I don't know. That, if I want to go out on a limb, I'll say oh, Glaber Torres, but probably Mike Trout. Yeah, I, Glaber was – I was debating between Austin Meadows and Glaber, but I eventually went with Austin Meadows. But, um, yeah, I think Glaber, Glaber is another great pick. I think, honestly, the those could be the three finalists. You could be looking at um, Trout, Meadows, and Glaber. Uh, Donaldson is, is a, another good choice. Uh, another guy I want to bring up, he was a finalist last year, Marcus Semien out in Oakland. He had a fantastic season last year. He went from – being one of the worst defenders in the league where he was a liability every time a ball got hit to him a couple years ago to a perennial gold glover over there at shortstop. His bat has really come around. He's a doubles machine. And, you know, um, he was he was key to that Oakland lineup last year. He was the, – the team would kind of ebb and flow, but he was that one consistent hitter all through the year. And also Matt Chapman, I think. Uh, both Matts could really be looked at in consideration. I think Oakland has a couple – MVP candidates out there, um, but you know, I I think that uh, I could see Austin Meadows having that that big year this year. I think Semyon's also guy. a contract year, so I mean that you don't know how that plays a factor either. You know, he might be even more motivated, you know, to put up huge MVP type numbers, you know, to boost his potential salary that he earns from whatever team you know lands him free agency. Mm-hmm. I think the crazy stat about Marcus Semyon is he played 162 games there last year that's like unheard of in like the MLB these days because you know players need to get their days off but I think that's pretty crazy too but yeah that, that's a solid sleeper choice as well yeah, I think an interesting thing is that only one of uh last year's three finalists in the American League are being brought up I mean Marcus Semien we were just talking about he came in third but Alex Bregman came in second it was a close race last year but he is silent uh in these MVP talks and I, I obviously a big part is in, is with the Astros cheating scandal, and obviously I think we all think that that is going to have a big impact on the season that Alex Bregman and all the Astros have. So, is are are the Astros kind of just out of it entirely from the MVP conversation? Really, just any Astro Astro player? I just don't want to like. I there's so, I I still still think Alex Bregman's a great player even without the scandal, but like I have I don't know about you guys, but I have no Astros winning awards this year. I just don't. I just don't see it. I don't. They're just so hated right now, and like, they could still be like, like I said, Bregman could still be up there in the conversation. But I didn't choose any Astros. Just what they did just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna get any love from the voters. Not at all. No. Not even just from that. Like, I disliked them obviously, but I didn't leave them off because I dislike them. I generally don't think they're gonna be up in those races. I think there are a lot of good young players in this American League, and you. All of those Astros are good players, Bregman, Altuve, Springer. They're all great. But you, I mean, if you know what pitch is coming, that helps you immensely. Like, you can't take away Bregman's talent. He was a number two overall pick for a reason. But like I said, if you know a fastball is coming regardless of where it's thrown and you don't have to kind of react to whatever's being thrown and you know what's being thrown, I mean, that is such an advantage. Guys' averages shoot through the roof. Power numbers are obviously up, not striking out as much. So, I mean, you can't just ignore what they did. Mm-hmm. 
And with that, we will transition from the MVP race to the Cy Young conversation. Obviously, Garrett Cole comes in into the uh, American League. He stays in the American League, actually, going to the New York Yankees. Maybe he's one of the choices here. Obviously, the winner last year, Justin Verlander of the Astros, who also have Zach Branke, so that's another big name to keep in mind here. But with that being said, Cy Young race, who you guys got? Uh, I'll go first, since I went first with the MVP. Um... I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Corey Kluber. Now he was hurt last year. Only made seven starts, but the year before that, he made um, 33 starts, threw 215 innings, had a 2.89. The year before that, he threw 203 innings, had three shutouts, five complete games, had a 2.25 ERA. Um, you know, a change of scenery, I think, is gonna be. Good for him, and I, I could see him having having a big year, big year this year. Um, so I, I'm gonna go a bounce back year from Corey Kluber. I think I think he's he's a dark horse for the Cy Young, and he's my pick. I'm going with you went with a former Indian. I'm gonna go with a current Indian. I'm gonna take Shane Bieber. Oh, you stole um, my pick. Oh, see, this was my this is my sleeper one, or you know, not obvious. I Garrett do. Cole's obviously obvious pick, uh, but I want Shane Bieber. He's the guy now in Cleveland. No more Kluber, no more Trevor Bauer. He's pretty much the ace. Uh, he's twenty four now. Uh, he had fifteen wins last year on the team that you know wasn't able to get into the postseason. Over two hundred fifty strikeouts and an ERA just above three. This guy's young. He's only going to get better. He's now the guy in Cleveland. Um, so hopefully he'll be able to handle that added pressure of being the ace. Um, and I think he's up to the task, and I think he's going to have a fantastic season. Yeah, Ben, you took the words right out of my mouth. Shane Bieber is my pick as well. Because, like you said, he is the, the, the clear ace of this staff now. He's coming off a great year. 260 strikeouts and just 214 innings. That's really good. Still only 24 years old, so he's getting better. And he had, which isn't this is something that isn't like very common in the MLB anymore. Three complete games, two complete game shutouts. So he has that arm where he's go out there and throw a bunch of innings. So obviously Garrett Cole is like the obvious choice though. Like it's gonna be the popular choice among people, but I don't know. I see Shane Bieber really basing off of last year. I see him improving even more and taking that Cy Young. I I wouldn't be surprised at all. So we said that. Um, we don't think that the Houston Astros are, are going to garner any awards or any votes from um, the, for, for these awards. But with that, in, in despite of all that, I still think Zach Greinke can actually win this Cy Young Award. Yeah, I mean, you wow. can't really argue that even before he went to Houston, he was only there for half a season anyway, that you can't really argue that the Astros really have anything. They, they can't really boost his stats just because he's, he's already like a Hall of Fame pitcher even before he got to Houston. But once he got there, he was 8-1, and one, had an ERA just above three. And he kind of, he, he took over in the playoffs when Verlander kind of got cold. Verlander won the Cy Young, but you, you, can't, you can't ignore what the Houston Astros pitching staff has done to players. Garrett Cole, look at him now. He has huge paydays in the pitch in New York this year on a huge salary. Justin Verlander revived his career. Zach Greinke is the next guy up. The uh, the cheating scandal obviously has a, has a huge impact on the Astros, but that was mostly with hitting. The, the pitching is kind of out of this one. I mean, you can't really argue that banging on trash cans really helps your pitching staff as much as it, as much as it did for your for your hitters. Just I mean Justin Verlander, he's 
he's he's gone he's got a lot of hate um since this scandal kind of happened but he didn't really do much to um increase his stats so that with that with that being said this may be a surprise but i'm gonna go with zach Granke. i think you know Granke has has been just a consistent like under the radar kind of guy and and I, I definitely think he's a good pick, but the only reason I would go against that is just because what I said earlier, I don't think the Astros are going to get any love from the voters, even though Granky really wasn't involved in it. I think just the Astros leave such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. But if he comes out and has like a sub-2 ERA year, which I fully believe that he really could, I, I could definitely see it. Like if he puts up numbers where it's like unquestionable that he's the Cy Young and and he definitely could because in the American League, you look, you have like Shane Bieber, you have Garrett Cole, Blake Snell, but there's no really like elite top of the line guys other than a couple that you think could really take the Cy Young Award. Like there's not a huge group of people who you're thinking are in consideration for this award. And I think, you know, maybe an injury to one of them or one of them has a down year and Granky has a great year, he could definitely sneak in the Cy Young Award conversation. But I think the only way he gets it is if he is the clear far and away favorite just because he's on the Astros and no other reason other than that. You can argue if there's one guy that gets a pass that's on the Astros, it's Zach Granky, just because he's only been there for a half a season where the cheating scandal wasn't really that that much of a big deal just because they didn't win the World Series that year where he wasn't on that roster when they won in 2017. And just he's been such a, a, a consistent player throughout his entire career that you can't really argue that even though he's getting into his third his, uh, high 30s now, that you can't really argue that you can see his performance dying off, especially with that great pitching staff they have there in Houston. Yeah, there were, there were two more guys that I wanted to mention too, um, one of which – is Sean Manaya. He came back last year and in four in uh, five starts went four and zero with a one two one ERA, and had thirty strikeouts in twenty nine innings. Uh, the year before that, he was twelve and nine with a three five nine in twenty seven starts, hundred and sixty innings. And uh, I think Sean Manaya, if he takes that next step, could put his name up in the conversation. Another guy I wanted to bring up was another guy from Cleveland, Mike Clevenger. Uh, he had a really good year last year. 21 starts, had a two, uh, 2.71 ERA, threw 126 innings, only 96 hits, uh, struck out 169 batters in 126 innings. So uh, I think that he could definitely be be a guy that, with a decent amount of starts, puts up big, crazy numbers, and I could see him having his name in the uh, Cy Young Award conversation as well. I also wanted to mention someone else who I think is – a sleeper, but he finished third in the voting last year. Former Astro Charlie Morton. He mm-hmm. was 16-6 last year. ERA just over three. 240 strikeouts in just 194 innings. He got better once he left the Astros. Like His ERA with the Astros was he never reached the ERA as low as he did with the Rays with the Astros. He's a, he's a better pitcher last year. And he finished third in the voting. It's kind of similar to that. There's similar age to Zach Ranky, so they are both getting older, but I don't know. He finished third last year, so I think he should get some love and some recognition. Another Ray you could look at is uh, Tyler Glass now. All right, and our next uh, topic of debate here, probably going to be the quickest one just because you you, you always have, have guys kind of break out in the middle of the season, so it's kind of hard to predict at the start of the season, not even at the start of the season, which we don't know when it's going to be, is the rookie of the year conversation. 
So I think there's only be like one or two main guys that get discussed here. But uh, I'm curious, what do you guys have in mind here? Um, I'm I'm gonna go to the AL Central. Casey Mize. I think if he comes up, which I don't see why the Tigers wouldn't bring him up. I think he's gonna have an amazing year. He's got electric stuff, and I think he could be the real deal for them. They they obviously had that rotation that they used to have of uh, I think they had like four Cy Young Award winners in there at one time: Verlander, Scherzer, Price, and uh, Porcello. But I think that this guy could be better than. Uh, I don't know if he could be better than all of them, but he could be up there with like as great as they are. I'm a big on the Casey Mize train, and I think if he comes up, he's going to put up big numbers for the Tigers and be a serious threat for Rookie of the Year. We spent a lot of time talking about some really good A's, and they have a very talented offense. Uh, but if you look at the pitching side of things, Jesus Lazardo, uh, that, is, that is my pick for AL Rookie of the Year. He's a very talented guy, uh, and I, I really like that he throws relatively hard. I think velocity is something that's really valuable in today's game, especially when you're throwing from the left side. Um, I think that's even more valuable. Um, he's got a nice curveball, great arsenal of pitches. So Lazardo is my pick for American League Rookie of the Year. And I think he can make an impact right away. So that also factored in, I thought, you know, from the start of the season, he'd probably get some pretty good innings. Um, and you didn't have to worry about him being called up or minor league play. Yeah, Zach kind of stole my thunder. I had Casey Mize as well. When I was looking at everything, I really didn't see anyone who's like a clear-cut favorite because you don't really know who's going to be up in the major leagues right away. Yeah, Casey Mize, I think Tigers are terrible, so he, sh- he should get an opportunity pretty early on in the season. And when you look at his minor league stats, he threw a no-hitter in his first ever double-A game. That that jumps out at you. I just think he's, if not anything, he's the one who's going to be able to play the most in the major leagues because the Tigers are so bad. I think we get the biggest opportunity. I think he's really talented, so that's my pick. So I'm going to go with the only hitter on this list here. Uh, International uh, free agent signing, playing for the Tampa Bay Rays this season. Uh, Yoshidomo Tas- uh, Satsugo uh, coming over from Japan. 29 years old, so he obviously has experience. He's signed a two-year, $12 million contract over the offseason. So the Rays obviously looking to uh, bring him into the starting lineup, or at least to the MLB roster right away. This guy hit 280 uh, throughout his nine-year career in Japan. So the Rays kind of looking for that immediate impact on the offensive side of the ball. We were talking about the great pitchers they have that could potentially win the Cy Young. This is a guy here who could potentially break out at the start of the season, which is why I'm liking him for rookie of the year, because he's going to be on that MLB roster, which is which he's expected to be uh, throughout the whole season. So that is my pick for rookie of the year. That was great pronunciation, by the way. I wouldn't even have attempted yes. that last name. So hats off to you. I don't even think that was right. I think that was just like my best <laughs> at it. You said it confidently, though. <laughs> Alright, um, I don't really think there's much debate here for Rookie of the Year, so we're going to head on to our final uh, award here, which is AL Manager of the Year. This one really can go either way. I mean, you got Aaron Boone for the Yankees. You got guys like Kevin Cash out there. You can really pick anyone here for this award. So, um, who do you guys got? I have Bob Melvin, uh, and only because... I picked the A's to win the AL West. And I don't think that a lot of other people are going to pick them to win the AL West. So I think that if they do, it's going to be kind of a surprise. And Bob Melvin will will get the award because of that. I uh, went with Kevin Cash. 
Um, I don't expect the Rays to win the division, but I strongly expect that they're going to, you know, have high 80s, low 90s in their win total. It's a very weak division outside of the Yankees, and I think the Rays, you know, they're not the flashiest teams. They have a few stars uh, like Glasnow, Meadows, um, but the roster isn't full of, you know, guys who will make the all-star team. You know, there are a lot of, you know, dink and dumb kind of guys um, and their front office and managing staff just find a way to utilize their players and then put them in the best positions possible uh, to get the most out of every one of their players. So I think year in and year out, Kevin Cash could win this award. Um, he's usually a finalist for sure. Um, but this year I got him winning. All right. So I knew you guys weren't going to take this one because I know you guys disagree with me on this, but when Joe Madden leads the angels to the playoffs, he will be the manager of the year. This angels team has been pretty relevant besides Mike Trout for a while now. So when Madden leads them back to the playoffs, he will be named manager of the year. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm on the Angels hype train this year. So I feel like you can always just say Aaron Boone now because the, the Yankees are loaded. They have so much talent. So I don't see Aaron Boone's a solid manager, but what is, how much is he really doing with that loaded roster? Madden, on the other hand, the Angels haven't touched the playoffs in a while. So I feel like that would be impressive. And if they made the playoffs, I think he would have a pretty good shot. So I'm going with, Joe Madden. Yeah, if they make the playoffs, I think Which I believe they will, it. Zach. Yeah, I know, but I I don't, so that's where we Go have a your, discrepancy. A's hype train. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I'm blinded by bias, but... Yeah, it's all in line with the Mets, it's fine. <laughs> well, I think the easiest way to kind of pick this award is just kind of pick the team you think is going to have the best record. It's kind of the same thing for Rookie of the Year. Pick, guy, pick guys who you know are going to start the season on the roster for the award. So I'm going to go with Aaron Boone, oh, Yankees, just because every single season he's been the manager. But what's he really doing? Really hard hand, injury-wise. Like, John Carlos Stanton goes down, like, like, in game five of the season. He he only played, I think, four games last year. Aaron Judge missed a, missed a majority of time last year. And he, and Gio Urshela, Mike Talkman, got came in. They got really hot, led the Yankees to the playoffs, and... I, I kind of expect something like that to happen again. Some, someone major always goes down for the Yankees, and Aaron Boone always finds ways to develop. I mean, Domingo Herman on the pitching staff—he was—he was a breakout star until he got until he got uh, suspended by the MLB. But Aaron Boone still found ways to manage. I mean, Luis Severino even—he—he he missed the majority of the season, and when he was healthy, he didn't play much that year. So I'm expecting Aaron Boone to just kind of maneuver his way around this season and keep the Yankees, despite everything that I that, that could happen this year, as one of the top teams in the MLB. Right, that's a good point with the injuries. I'll give you that. But yeah. I feel like manager of the year should go to a manager who like, leads a team to the playoffs that wasn't expected. So let's say a bunch of Yankees players do what I heard and Boone still leads them to the best record. Okay, I can see that. But again – a team that's not expected to make the playoffs. If a manager leads them to the playoffs like that, I feel like that manager should get manager of the year because it's like, oh wow, this team made the playoffs. They all did a really good job. I don't know. I don't. I'm not a believer of oh the team with the best record should just get manager of the year. That manager should get manager of the year. I don't think so. Yeah, well, I I, I get where you're coming from. It's usually a team that like surpasses expectations. Yeah, I think that I think that's that should be it. And I think I think that's to an extent. Um, but I, I just think the Yankees have already had like injury things this year happen too. I can't recall what what on the t- off the top of my head, but Severino's out for the year. Yeah, Tommy. exactly. Like they've already had issues come up, and the season hasn't even started yet. So I think 
Um, Boone would get it if he could lead the Yankees to the best record, and these injuries do happen, which you kind of have to pencil in for the Yankees at this point. But, um, I don't know, manager of the year is kind of a hard one to predict at the beginning of the year, just because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, really, it it is all dependent on injuries and breakout teams, so um, it's a tough one to predict. But if you think a team's going to break out like Gabe, you do with the Angels, then it's a safe pick. Um, or if you think that injuries are going to happen like Logan, you do with the the Yankees, and you know, it, it's really it's a really hard award to predict. It probably the hardest to predict at the beginning of the year, honestly. Yeah, that and Rookie of the Year are kind of this, kind of similar in that way because Rookie of the Year you got let's say a couple of years ago Andrew Benatendi, one of the best prospects in the MLB, he comes up start of the season, and then bam, Aaron Judge breaks the home run uh, record for a rookie. Mm-hmm. Then even last year, Fernando Tatis, uh, he came up as one of the best prospects in the MLB, and then bam, Pete Alonso does the exact same thing for the NL. So you really don't know who's going to be that breakout star for uh, that that can really save a team and really help them out. Yeah, those two awards are just so so random, so unpredictable from year to year that it's really hard to to pinpoint one person at the beginning of the year. All right, but with that, we are going to move on to our next segment here, and, and that is um, talk about a, lo- a little bit about um, a certain man whose birthday was last week. A man who is a 11-time All-Star, a World Series champion, two-time MVP, and a Triple Crown winner. Tigers first baseman Miguel Cabrera, uh, considered one of the best uh, hitters, not only in our time, but of all time for the MLB. A guy who, Albert Pujols, who plays with one of the best hitters in today's game, if not the best, in Mike Trout, saying that he is the best player that he's ever seen live on a baseball field. So if Miguel Cabrera retires today, which he probably will soon, I mean, if not this year, then sometime in the near future, where would you rank Miguel Cabrera as uh, one of the as a, a hitter in the MLB? I think you could make a legitimate argument that he is a top ten hitter of all time. Um, you know, you have Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig. Uh, Mike Trout, but I think as you start getting towards that, like towards 10, you start, you could really, really fit Miguel Cabrera into there. I mean, he won a triple crown like that in and of itself is one of the most impressive feats in all of sports. Just how well-versed, well-rounded you have to be as a hitter. He, those years, like we talk about Mike Trout being one of the greatest hitters of all time, if not the greatest, Miguel Cabrera was beating him out for MVPs. Like, he was legit, like, legit, legit. And his his triple crown season, I mean, it was just 2012, 44 home runs, 139 RBIs, a 330 batting average. Right now for his career, he's hitting 315 with um, a 392 on base, a 543 slugging. 477 home runs, so he's probably not going to get to 600, but he's at 2,815 hits. He'll most definitely get to 3,000. This season kind of hurt him in that quest of 3,000 because he's going to miss a lot of hits that he could have gotten. He's only getting older, but you know, just his combination of of the ability to just hit the ball and then hit for power and drive in runs in his prime, 
I don't know. Like it, it would be a discussion. Those that 2012, 2013. Who would you rather have that year, Miguel Cabrera or Mike Trout? And that's saying something, just because we all know how good Mike Trout is. I think Miguel Cabrera's Miguel Cabrera is up there very high. Actually, uh, when you look at it, I think the greatest hitter of all time. You can make a case for you know several players, but in my opinion, I think Ted Williams is the best uh, pure hitter to ever live. And then you got guys like you mentioned, Ruth, Garrett, you know, the list goes on and on. But Miguel Cabrera, basically since he came into the league at age 20 in 2003, he's hit pretty much every stop. Um, I mean, he he's hitting over 300 uh, basically from age 22 to, you know, age 33. That's almost a decade of being one of the greatest hitters um, in the sport. He's also the last guy to win the Triple Crown. I mean, I don't know when we're going to see a guy win the Triple Crown again. And you factor in that he played in one of the biggest ballparks in the American League. That's insane, you know, to hit that many home runs. I think he had 44 home runs at Tiger Stadium. I mean, that is a ginormous park. He has power to all fields. They say, you know, when he uh, takes batting practice, he basically plays around the world, you know, starts in left field, moves all the way to right field, just putting balls out, which is just insane. He is, I would not put him in the discussion as one of the greatest top 10 players of all time just because he's so limited defensively. Um, he's not very mobile. But when you are in the discussion of pure hitters, I think he is right up there, uh, certainly in the top 10, inching his way to the top five. Yeah, I agree with a lot of things you guys said. I think as a pure hitter, he's top 10, top 15. I think one of the craziest things is I don't even think his triple crown season was his best season. The very next season, he hit 348. Uh, he had a 1,078 OPS. Both those significantly higher than, than his triple crown season. He had the same amount of home runs and just two less RBIs. Those two seasons were back-to-back MVPs. But as, as impressive as a, as, a, as a triple crown is, I think his next season was better, which is just shows how good he is. I, his last season of being elite was, I think, 2016. From a stretch from like 2004 to 2016, he was just absolutely insane. I think he hit under 300 twice during that stretch. During a what is it, a 12 year stretch, he hit under 300 twice. Yeah, and you go to his baseball reference page. Look how much yeah, bold. I'm staring at right now. It's look how much bold there is. It, it I know. Looks like half the categories are bolded. Like it's and something incredible. I forgot to mention too. He didn't strike out a ton. Uh-uh. I think I'm seeing here the most he struck out yeah. a season was 126, and you know. He is so good, and we're talking about baseball changing as a sport. Guys are striking out a ton. It's very hard to hit, you know, 50 home runs and hit 340. That's unheard of. So, I mean, I don't think the Triple Crown, it's going to be a long, long time before that happens again. The fact that he has so little swing and miss in his game is even more impressive that he's able to put up the power numbers that he was able to. Yeah, there hasn't, before him, the last Triple Crown was Carl Yastrzemski in 1967. It had been, what, 45 years since somebody won a Triple Crown? And, I mean, we've seen people, like, get somewhat close to it. Like, Yelich was chasing it the one year. But, uh, like, we've never seen anybody, like, have a legit shot with, like, a week left in the season. And, I mean, it was just – it was so fun to watch. It was so fun to follow, watch him make history. And I definitely think he's he's a top 10 hitter. Now, Ben, you brought up a good point. He's not a top 10 player just because he was a liability in the field. But hitter, no doubt, top 10, 
possibly pushing the top five. Just he could hit the ball wherever it was pitched, and his personality too. Like MLB posted a video on Instagram the other day, and I it just watched it and just made you smile. He was always having fun with the game. Like somebody struck him out with a changeup in the dirt, and he looked like a complete moron swinging at it, and. He looked out at the pitcher afterwards and smiled and gave him a thumbs up. Like, wow, great pitch. You know, the way he interacts with fans, just like tapping him on the shoulder and look, making him look the other way when he's running over to the stands or, or taking food or just, he was just a great personality. And I think that, that really, um, it's just, that's the kind of players that MLB needs. Miguel Cabrera was just, when he was in his prime, he was the man. Ben, you mentioned how he doesn't strike out a lot. He had a season in 2011 where he walked more times than he struck out. He had 108 walks and struck out 89 times. That's just ridiculous. I don't. There's no other word for it. That's insane. You're not going to see that in today's game. Anymore. Oh, absolutely. You know, everyone, you know, trying to hit home runs or you know, big be big power hitters. Strikeouts are going up. Walks are going down. It was the opposite for Miguel Cabrera. You know, like you said, you had the seasons where he walked more than he struck out. That's unheard of today. I think the last time someone came close to topping what Miguel Cabrera did and getting a triple crown really was J.D. Martinez two years ago. He was like a month off of getting a couple of those categories, but even still Mookie Betts was beating him in a couple of those categories. Oh. But that, that triple crown season was just unreal. But I mean, you talk about top 10 hitter in our time. I, I definitely agree with that. He could push top five. I think we're kind of underrating his fielding a little bit just because he did play third base back in his prime a little bit. And then he moved, he had to move to first just because he was in his late thirties and he just couldn't run anymore. But back in his prime, he, he, he could still move a little bit. Like he wasn't a total liability out in the field. I think the one thing kind of holding Miguel Cabrera back is team success. Just because, I mean, during his triple crown seasons, the Tigers were competing. They made a world series in 2010, lost to the giants I think it was a four to one series, but they had a good team, the Tigers. Like they traded for Prince Fielder, who's like another key bat for Miguel Cabrera to work with. They had a really good rotation, a bunch of guys, one World Series. David Price was traded there for a couple seasons. Um, they had Max Scherzer before he was Max Scherzer. They had Justin Verlander. They had Rick Porcello. They, that was a great team. Those Tigers teams had, and they could make. They made the playoffs a couple times, but they never got really close to winning a World Series. I that one time. You want to talk about JD Martinez coming somewhat close? That's almost like not to take away anything from JD Martinez. That's like another testament to how good Miguel Cabrera was because Martinez was nothing in Houston. He comes to Detroit, starts modeling his swing uh, in the way he goes about hitting after Miguel Cabrera, and right now he's another guy who's one of the best pure hitters in the sport. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Josh Hamilton hitting three sixty in two thousand ten, he would probably have another MVP because his season in twenty. 20- 10. He had 38 home runs, 126 RBIs, hit 328. Another great season, but Josh Hamilton just was insane that year. All right, and with that, we're going to move on to our final segment of the day. We're going to do the second edition of the uh, Mount Rushmore series. We did the poll up on the Ducks in the Pond Twitter, gave one the first edition of Mount Rushmore, which was the Mount Rushmore of movies. Dave ended up taking that poll with a total of 30 two percent of the votes ben came in second with a 29 percent very close zach came in third with 24 percent and i came in last with 15 percent sad logan said 
it is pretty sad, but uh, it's only the first one. So that order I just said, which was Gabe, Ben, Zach, and myself, that is the order for our next Mount Rushmore, which we're going to talk about some mascots today. We're going to go um, top mascots uh, of our time here. So um, without further ado, Gabe, you're on the phone. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to win this one because I'm not cultured in mascots whatsoever. So I'm probably going to get berated on Twitter, which is fine. And we, we did a poll on we did a poll on Ducks in the Pond, and this is what won. Yeah, okay. So my number one mascot – you guys are going to yell at me, but just the way I grew up, Mr. Met, Mr. Met, just the I, way I grew up. How, how can your number one mascot be someone who's giving the finger to people? I mean, I guess that's pretty yeah, awesome. That's, that's actually pretty awesome. If it's, yeah. that's, the, that's one of the reasons why he's no, I, Okay, okay. I, re- I retract that statement. That's I, The more I think about it, the more that's like, okay, that's, technically that's pretty awesome. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have five fingers. He only has four. So technically, it was not the middle finger. Okay. Okay. Technically. That was, that was, that was a bad, bad take on my part. Bad take on my part. See, I don't know, just growing up on a Shea Stadium, City Field, oh, Mr. Met is just, just a classic there. And, you, you know, I'm, I'm biased, I'll admit it. But just because Mr. Met's a mascot I've seen the most, mascot I have, you know, just followed the most, I don't know, That that's my number one. There's not much to it. It's just, I think he's cool. He might just be a mascot with a ball as a head, but it's fine. It's, it's just how it is. I feel, to, uh, to Gabe's credit, it has evolved. Like, they have a Mrs. Met now. Yes. Which was added pretty recently. So, like, they're evolving on the Mr. Met brand at City Field. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I feel like Gabe here. I'm not the most cultured in my mascot knowledge either. Um, but I'm also going to go with a homer pick. i got to take the Philly Fanatic. And, you know, I, too, like you grow with Mr. Met. You know, the Philly Fanatic has been the one constant in Philadelphia Philly sports uh, since I've grown up. And, you know... I like him, but outside of that, you know, I hear good things about the Fanatic. You know, when people talk about mascots, his name's always coming up, whether he's the best or not. He's always up there. Uh, so I'm going to take the Philly Fanatic with my first pick. Is it really a question who I'm going to take here? My <laughs> man, KC Wolf. Oh, dude, he's so awesome. He's just, he's a legend. His Twitter account, phenomenal. Every time you see the opponents kick a field goal, he's under the goal post with all the emotion in the world, like every field goal is the end of the world. Casey Wolf, there's just no no bad things you could say about him. You walk up to him, you just want to give him a hug. You look at him, you just fall in love. Casey Wolf is what every mascot should dream to be. If you could draw up an ideal mascot, you would draw up Casey Wolf. There's you can't say anything bad about Casey Wolf. He's just he's a legend. Casey Wolf, number one, undoubtedly. That's it, Casey Wolf. I, that could be my whole list, and I, I still think I might get the win. Just just Casey Wolf. And to Zach's credit, he's been hyping this this guy up for as long as like forever, since we brought up the mascots list. If you actually go to my Twitter, uh, there's a bunch of Casey Wolf related tweets. It actually says "Lover of Casey Wolf" in my Twitter bio, so I, I'm a when, true Casey Wolf guy. When did this uh, admiration for Casey Wolf begin? Uh, probably honestly during during the football season. I was just watching a Chiefs game. I was like, man, look at Casey go down there. And then I just started looking up some more things about him. There's some pretty awesome pictures of him, like, belly flopping on top of security guards while they're tackling a streaker. Like, he's just always he's always doing the right thing for a mascot to be doing. And, and he's he's just – you can't look at him and not love him. Like, he's adorable. And Casey Wolf, he goes at three. I have back-to-back picks at four and five for the second straight week. 
and this time I was kind of forced to take it because I came last. But um, I'm going to go with another Philly uh, mascot here. I'm going to go with Gritty. All right. There we go. mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers, but he just took over the sports world so quickly just because, like, he, he's, a, he's already an iconic mascot. He's already so young. But the, he just kind of copies the Philly fanatic and just kind of the things he does. Like, the, the, the amount of crazy stuff he does. I went to one Flyers game a year ago, and this guy was, like, going around everywhere just caused as much havoc as he could during that game. The Islanders won, by the way, but um, Gritty was a lot of fun to see in Philadelphia, so he's my fourth overall pick. And um, to go back-to-back number five, I'm going to go with uh, the Sausages in uh, Milwaukee with the Brewers. Uh, the, the races they have, those are hyped up every single time at a Brewers game. I, I know um, from, I'm from New York, so Mets broadcast. They even, they even stay on to watch the sausage races. They talk about them every single time the Mets are in Milwaukee. I've seen the sausage races. The sausage races, they're just iconic just because the, the Milwaukee, they're just known for them. Remember, remember when the, uh, the sausage race was going on? <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but the one player like hit one of them with a bat. <laughs> oh, there's, there's like a video out there of the sausages are running by the dugout and the player just takes a bat and like drills one of the sausages with the bat as he's going by. It's a, it's a pretty funny video. I'd recommend checking it out. Um, so I guess I'm back on the clock now. Uh, so for my second pick, going with Cosmo the Cougar, the the BYU mascot. He is about as electric as a mascot can get. He's dunking from the three point line. The uh, the dances that he has on the BYU football field with the Cougarettes are just phenomenal. He's he's right in sync with them. When you when you want to draw up a college mascot, you draw up Cosmo the Cougar. People are gonna come to the games because this guy is so awesome. Uh, he actually won the Twitter poll. That was going on. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was uh, like, the Nittany Lion. Yeah, and deservedly so. Like I love the Nittany Lion, but Cosmo the Cougar is. I think you voted for Cosmo over the Nittany Lion, didn't you? No, I I I voted for the Nittany Lion. Okay, okay. But they, but I can't be mad. That, yeah, yeah, it did. But but Cosmo, like you can't be mad that you lost to him. He's awesome, and uh, yeah, he's my number my number two pick. I uh, went with the presidents in the nation's capital. Uh, they also put on a race very similar to the sausages. Uh, they got four of them. I believe it's the Mount. Is it the Mount Rushmore guys? Uh, I think it, it might be. be. I think it is. I think it is. Uh, I know Teddy Roosevelt. He's kind of like a lovable loser there. He very rarely wins. Um, it's kind of like a running joke. But the, the presidents. That's what I got. They're you know our founding father. So it's always fun to watch them run around the field. Um, and they're my number two pick. Yeah, I was debating taking the presidents. I thought they would kind of stay to my next pick. I was thinking about having two races even with the uh, sausage races and the president's race. I, I had the sausages written down here too. So there, there you go. We're in the same boat. And you, you guys said that we're not repeating. So, after, so someone said one, I have to think of something else? Yes. Yeah. Yep. You guys would be surprised. My original number two, as much as I say I hate this mascot, the Philly Fanatic is a damn good mascot, but I just hate him. He was going to be my number two. Because as a Mets fan, I despise the Philly fanatic. I despise the Philly fanatic. But if I was a Phillies fan, oh, I would, I would, I'd love the Philly fanatic. But as a, as a, just as a mascot, my biased opinion aside, he's a great mascot. I'll, I'll think of something else though, because Ben stole the Philly fanatic. So at number two, I'm gonna go, go to the NBA. Benny the Bull. 
the Chicago Bulls. Good pick, good pick. But I don't know, just whenever I think the Bulls, obviously I think Michael Jordan, I don't think any of their current players because they're garbage, but, you know, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, I don't know, just Benny the Bulls, I just, I just think, I think he's a cool mascot. I just, he just comes to mind. If you think of a team, and you think of their mascot, it has to be a good mascot. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. If you think, if you think of the mascot when you say a team's name, he's a good mascot. So I'll go with Benny the Bulls, my number two. You have another pick, then you're on the. Oh, clock. I do have another. Oh, pick. lost in the snake. <laughs> what? We got lost in the snake draft. I'm forgetting. <laughs> All right, number three, Mr. Red for the Reds. The the original mascot for the Reds, the one with the mustache, the big mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a. I just think he's pretty sick. Look, they retired him in 2007, but then they brought him back in 2012. Rightfully so. I think he's really cool too. He's just one of those, like, those old school mascots. Again, he has a ball as his head. I guess. I like those types of mascots, but oh, I think it's pretty cool. So he's my number three. I'm going to take the second college football mascot. Give me the Nittany Lion. Oh, that was my number that, That's also a homer pick. Um, but, yeah, he's pretty good nonetheless. And uh, Zach uh, took his um, opponent in that, uh, what was it, the Twitter poll, SiriusXM's Twitter poll. Uh, the, I had BYU's mascot on here too, but I'll settle for the Nittany Lion if that is settling. Okay. Um I'm going to go with my third pick. I'm going with Stomper. He is the A's mascot. And there's no, there's a reason behind it. So you might, he's an elephant, right? What does an elephant have to do with the A's? It's actually interesting. It was kind of like a, a, a big, a big slap in the face. So back in 1902, there's a history lesson for you guys today. The New York Giants manager, uh, John McGraw was like bashing the A's. He called them white elephants. And what he meant to say by that was that um, Connie Mack was like spending a lot of money on players and, and he shouldn't be allowed to do that. Well, Connie Mack basically gave him the finger and said, all right, guess what? He brought in an actual white elephant as the mascot because he was like, you want to call us elephants? Look at this. We're, we're elephants, jackass. And, um, sure enough, now the A's mascot still to this day is an elephant. So the history behind it, is awesome, and that's why I'm going with Stomper at number three. Question for you before we move on to Logan's pick, Zach. Um, would you be? How would you feel if the A's would move back to Philadelphia? Would you like to keep them out in Oakland, or say you know they need to move for something? How do you feel about that? Well, personally, I would love if they moved back to Philadelphia because I could see more of their games. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't have a problem with them leaving Oakland, especially the Coliseum. I've never been there, but I heard it's a dump. I would love to still go there and visit it, but I think a new ballpark would be great for them, wherever it may be. Attract more fans, more revenue, and hopefully, they would actually be able to keep their good players then. So I wouldn't have to be basically saying goodbye to Marcus Semien after he was an MVP finalist. Yeah. All right. So for my last two picks, I had to do a lot of scrambling because I did not think that Benny the Bull would be taken. Uh-huh. At this point, so um, for my first one, I'm gonna go with the Raptor for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. I, mean, I don't, I don't really know why. I just, I was looking for other NBA, uh, other NBA mascots just to kind of replace the Bulls one. And the Raptors kind of came up to me just because, like, he he's actually a pretty iconic mascot uh, in the in the NBA world. But um, I don't really have like a real reason for it. I, I, other than like, I, I, I like the costume. That's kind of the main reason I can give you guys. Like, I, I, I like the look of the Raptor. So he's my number three. And I'll go NFL for my last pick. I'm going to go Jackson the Ville. 
uh, from the Jacksonville Jaguars. No, he's known for his crazy antics and uh, kind of mocking the other team. He just kind of skydives out of the stadium, kind of does stuff like that uh, in Jacksonville. He even got, I think, fined or like notarized by the NFL, like back in the in the late '90s for um, mock like mocking the other team too much or whatever it was. But um, that is that is my last pick. That is gonna, that is going to complete my Mount Rushmore with Jacksonville. All right, uh, so I am I'm back on I I was kind of thinking of a couple different ways to go here, um. So I was thinking about Yupi, the Montreal Canadiens mascot. He's a real lovable guy. I was thinking about uh, S J Sharkey, the San Jose Sharks mascot, because when you score a goal with him in NHL twenty and you celebrate, he like dolphin dives in the air and chomps the stick in half, and it's really cool. But I'm going to go with uh, UGA's mascot. They just have a live bulldog. Uh, right now it's UGAX, known as Q. Um, and you can't go wrong with, with a, a good boy as your mascot. So boops, boops for uh, Ugga, and that's that's my Mount Rushmore. This one's a little uh, different here. I'm going to go with something that's uh, kind of off the grid. Stanford's mascot. Stanford, the university, does not have an official mascot, but their band does. That's why I wasn't taking it. The Stanford tree. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this thing. It looks ridiculous. It is, I hope it's active because it looks ridiculous. Uh, but I'm going to take the Stanford tree, a little unorthodox. Um, it looks really goofy, um, but that's going to round out my Mount Rushmore. Stanford tree. Fantastic pick. <laughs> I, I like that pick. I was kind of going away from it just because it's like unofficial. Yes. But I mean, it's part of the band, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, I mean, the band's part of the university, so I, I figured it was okay. But All right, so my number four, Ben Sol and Nittany Lion for me. So, I don't know. I was thinking of this being a total homer going Mrs. Matt, but I'm not going to do that. So, I'm going to go with Clutch, the mascot of the Rockets. Clutch the Rocket Bear. Nice. There's one reason for this. One reason. Back in 2014, there was a video shot by the Rockets of Clutch acting just like a mannequin and scaring the living hell out of all the Rockets players in the locker room. He made Dwight Howard like throw his phone across, across the locker room. It was hilarious. And I thought that was really funny. So that's why I'm going with Clutch. So um, I've come across an interesting development here. Now, obviously, you can't go back and change, but let's just say if I could, I would. Dartmouth, they don't have an official mascot. But their unofficial mascot is Keggy the Keg. Their their mascot is literally just a keg, a walking keg. So there's gotta be a story behind that, right? Um, there has to be. I, I don't see anything here, but there there's gotta be. So I I'm disappointed in myself. I feel like I've let the listeners down by not picking Keggy the Keg. So I'm sorry, but uh, now you know. That there is a college out there, and their mascot is just a walking, smiling kegerator. And you said it was Dartmouth, right? Like that's yeah. not something back from a college like as prestigious as Dartmouth. Yeah, and it's not like really affiliated with the university, I guess, because it's unofficial. But but still, like a walking keg is it's awesome. All right, and with that, that is going to conclude our second edition of Mount, of the uh, Mount Rushmore series. Be sure to vote on who, on which one of us had the best Mount Rushmore, which will decide the order for next week's Mount Rushmore, which you can vote on 
sometime in the week, we'll put out another poll uh, asking what you guys want to see uh, from us for another Mount Rushmore series. And with that, that's going to conclude another, another edition of the Ducks on the Pond podcast. For Gabe Angieri, Ben Surface, and Zach Lambert, I'm Logan Brandis, and have a great day.